In fact, the Apostle Paul makes the point that keeping the law is comparable to Hagar, the servant of Sarah, the mistress of Abraham, who Sarah and Abraham thought that they could bring a child, could bring the promised child through her. Galatians chapter 4, verse 24, Paul says these words. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These two women are two covenants. Speaking of Sarah, speaking of Hagar. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Let me just back up here and refresh your memory if you don't remember the story there. God had promised Abraham and Sarah that they were going to have a child. And out of their child, out of their children, I should say, their children would be multiplied as the sand on the sea, as the stars of the sky. God promised to Abraham that he and his offspring would be the blessing that would fill the earth. And they were excited about that. They were excited. Here we are. We're going to have family. We're going to have children. Of course, marriage day turns into anniversary one, anniversary two, anniversary 10, anniversary 25, anniversary 50. What is that? Your golden anniversary or anniversary 60? So on. And there are no children. There are no children. No one has come. The youth and vitality of, of young age, the prime childbearing ages are slipping away. Midlife has come and gone and now they're entering the later years of life and still no children. And so Sarah had a great idea. She said, look, maybe it's not through me, it's through Hagar that this child is going to come. Hagar was her personal servant, her handmaid. And so Abraham goes in and has relationships with Hagar. Hagar, of course, being a young woman, is able to conceive and bear a child. But what they are talking about here, what Paul is is talking about in this story, is Abraham and Sarah attempting to fulfill the promise of God on their own efforts, their own abilities. By having this surrogate child in Ishmael, they were trying to force the hand of God and to say that God will bring the blessing through our efforts. Paul, of course, says, look, no, that's not the way it works. It's not the way this happens. You are free not because of your human efforts, because of your human abilities. You are free because of what Christ has done on your behalf. And just as God was wanting to use the miraculous birth of Isaac, to bring about the blessings and promises given to Abraham, so it is that through Christ, God has given us freedom. Our freedom is not because of our efforts. It's because of our relationship with Christ. We have been set free from that struggle to find salvation through adherence to the law. And this brings me to my first point this morning, which is this. Christians are to be free people. Christians are to be free 
people. There should be something in us that shows this world that we have true, everlasting, and abiding freedom. Go back again to this verse, first verse for freedom. Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom, Christ has given you freedom. He has set you free. Therefore, be free and don't go back to the yoke of slavery. The president recently signed a law that was passed by Congress making Juneteenth a federal holiday. If you don't know, Juneteenth was the day the slaves in Texas heard that the Emancipation and Proclamation had been signed, that they were free, that they were no longer slaves. Of course, if I remember my social studies history classes, there were many, even after they had been set free in American uh, history, even after the Civil War had been fought, there were many who did not know what to do. They did not have anything to do. And so they went back into their life of servitude because they did not truly understand. They had been set free. Christ, Paul tells us here, is that you have been set free. Christ has made you free. He has given you freedom in Him. You're no longer bound by sin, bound by the law. And you should enjoy that freedom. You should live in that freedom. But you must also fight to maintain that freedom. Notice what he says again. Stand firm. In that freedom, don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go back to the old life. Don't go back to the old way. Stand firm in the freedom that God has given you through Christ. Ronald Reagan, of course, is the one who said, freedom is never more than one generation from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for. It must be protected. It must be handed on for them to do the same. Or one day we will spend our sunset years telling our children and their children's children what it was once like in the United States where men were free. We must fight. We must stand for. We must Preserve it at all costs. Or one day it will be nothing more than us sitting on a rocking chair in a front porch saying, you realize there was a time where we could do what we want where we were free men. What is true in the physical realm is true in the spiritual. Jesus, again, as I said there in John 8, 36 says, if the Son has set you free, you are free in D, there should be no doubt. There should be no mistake. There should be no question. There should be no hesitancy in your life. I am free. I'm free. I'm free. Like the tease or boys at the end of school. Ask them if they got their alarm set up. For the next day when school's out, tell them you're going to miss the bus. 
course, they reply, well, the bus driver isn't even out of bed yet. She's still sleeping, so. <laughs> we do that, obviously, to tease them. But, but the response is always the same. We're, we're free. We're free. We don't have to go. Watching those animal rescue shows, you know, and they're rehabilitating a bird or an animal and a big day comes and, and here they are in all dramatic suspense, you know. They, they take the animal out to the wild and, and they take the cage and open the trap door. And times the animal sits there inside of that cage and they have to push and nudge it out. Unsure of what to do. Finally, of course, and who knows how much of it's real and how much of it's edited for television. The bird walks out of the cage, slowly takes off, and then finally, he's gone, he's gone, he flies away. He realizes he is free. Did that a few years ago, and we caught a squirrel in our basement, we trapped it, took it out to the edge of the field, of course, we were more scared than the bird was, but I'm not going to mention that. They finally realize they are free. They finally realize that there is freedom there. And the bird takes off. The animal realizes, and he climbs the tree. He goes into the wood. He realizes, I am free. And I want to tell you this morning, if you know Christ Jesus, if you have asked Him to forgive you of your sins, if you have asked Him to come into your heart, you are free today. Walk in that freedom. Live in that freedom. Enjoy that freedom that He has given to you. That's what Paul is saying here. You are free and it is for freedom that Christ has given it to you. Of course, Paul elaborates on what this freedom is. And this freedom becomes my second point this morning, which is this. True freedom means trusting in Christ. Not trying to earn salvation. On your own. What is this freedom that we have been set free for? This freedom is found in trusting in Christ, not trying to earn salvation on our own. If you know Christ, if you are in Christ, if you are trusting Christ as your Savior, you are free. But if you are here this morning and you're trying through your own efforts to bring salvation, you are not free today. This is the point of Paul's message here in Galatians. It tells the church, you are, you are free, live in freedom, and don't be enslaved again. Then he explains what that enslavement means in verses 2 through verse 12. Verse 2 again, he says, Look, I, Paul, am telling you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no value to you. You have been set free. Stand firm in the freedom. Don't be entangled again to the yoke of bondage. Look, I'm trying to tell you something. As you talk to your child, your spouse, to your co-worker. Look, I'm trying to get the point across to you. If you go back to the life of circumcision, 
Christ means nothing to you. This goes back to what I said the message of Galatians is. The churches in Galatia had heard the good news of the gospel. They were mainly Gentile churches. They're not Jewish. There was not a lot of Jewish believers in the region of Galatia there. They had heard the message of Christ. They had been accepted. Uh, or accepted, I should say, the good news. They had been set free. However, as the church was being established and formed, there were men who were coming in and were telling them, if you are really to be a Christian, you must be circumcised. Of course, we know circumcision was a uniquely Jewish practice. Originated in Genesis 17 when God calls Abraham and he has Abraham circumcised in Genesis 17 verse 10 it says this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you every male among you shall be circumcised so for thousands of years Jewish men were circumcised on the eighth day they would present the son to the Lord. They would present the male child before the Lord and the priest would take and circumcise that child. However, when Pentecost came, the church was established and the gospel began to go out to the Gentiles. This debate arose. Do they need to be circumcised? Do they need to follow the law? And in Acts 15, the Jerusalem council was formed. The leaders of the church got together The Holy Spirit revealed to them, no, you don't need to be circumcised in order to be a Christian. Acts 15 verse 10, in fact, says these words, Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples and neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? In other words, what is being said here is by Forcing Gentile believers to be circumcised, you're adding a burden to them that even the Jewish followers were not able to follow. Their own life, but again, some in the church are coming in, they're attempting to derail the work of God. Telling these Galatian believers, you must be circumcised if you would be a good Christian. This causes no end of consternation to the Apostle Paul. In fact, I read some commentaries this week that stated that this section has Paul riled up more than any other place in his writing. But again, look at what he says, verse 3 again. I testify every man who accepts circumcision, he is obligated to keep the whole law. Verse 4, you're, you're severed from Christ. You who would have been justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Verse 7 through 9, you are running well, who hindered you? His persuasion is not from him and calls you. A little leaven is, is leavening and working through the whole lump. And the strongest word, yet, verse 12, he says, I wish those to unsettle you would emasculate themselves, cut themselves off. Do it to themselves. Those who are coming in and are unsettling you by telling you you need to be circumcised. Wish they would do it to themselves. Those are harsh words. 
He's trying to get his point made. And his point is this. You cannot say you trust in Christ for your salvation and state that you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. You cannot say that Christ has forgiven me and yet I am a Christian because of what I am doing, this act of circumcision. Verse 4, again, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified from the law, you have fallen away from grace. You cannot earn salvation by any works you have done. For these people in Galatia to come to the church and to say, have you been circumcised? If not, you are not a Christian was a great offense to the Apostle Paul. In the front to the message of Christ. Now, truth is, this is not an issue today, at least, regards to circumcision. I've never been in a church service before where I have heard anyone proclaim the need for circumcision. I've never been there out of hundreds, thousands, Church services I've been in in my life. I've never heard anybody say that. Most of them, I'm sure, have been vast majority Gentiles. Doesn't seem to be an issue. But yet this is here for a reason. It is here because it is applicable to so many other situations in my life or in our lives. Because what I have heard many times in church services and Christians is this statement that if you are a Christian, you will do this. Or if you are a Christian, you will not do that. And my guess is probably the vast majority of us here this morning has been in a situation where we have heard someone say that real Christians always do this or never do that. Fill in the blanks. Maybe it starts with our political choices. You can't be a Christian and vote for so-and-so or support so-and-so as a candidate. Maybe it's our entertainment where you can't be a Christian and watch this or that or the other. But you must understand what I'm saying here this morning. If you are depending on any of these things to save you, if you are depending on anything but the grace of Jesus Christ, to bring salvation to your life. You are guilty of what Paul is condemning in this passage. You are guilty of adding to the message of Christ. And instead of being free, you are binding people, binding yourself to a law. Does not need to be followed. You are that animal on the rescue show. Instead of going off into the wild, it's going back into the cage. You are that one who is trapping yourself in a form of legalism, in a form of works righteousness. The fact is you should be walking in a state of freedom. 
See, that's why Paul talks about this so much in Galatians. Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, Paul says, I don't nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no reason. There's no reason for the death of Christ. There's no reason for Easter if you're saved through circumcision. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. And do them. You're cursed if you don't do it all. So, well, I'm a Christian. I'd never go out to eat on a Sunday because, you know, Christians don't do that. Well, that's fine. There's other Christians over here that say, if Christians... Don't do this. You've got to follow their law. You've got to follow it all if you're going to live this way. Galatians 4 verse 9, But now that you have come to know God, rather to be known by God, how can you turn it back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? What I'm trying to tell you today is this. Don't rely, don't trust on anything but the blood of Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sins? Nothing, nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in my Savior's love. My hope is built on nothing less Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest rain, but I wholly, wholly lean on Jesus' name. Live in the freedom of knowing that you have been saved, that you have been born again through the blood of Jesus Christ. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Live in that freedom. Walk in that freedom. But also understand this. Freedom in Christ is not freedom to do whatever you want. I don't want you to misunderstand that this morning because it's easy to walk away and say, look, I'm free. I'll just go live any old way I want to. Please don't misconstrue what I'm saying. It becomes easy for those who want to break the chains of legalism to say, I am free. I can live any old way. I can do whatever I want to do. Most of you know we grew up in a more legalistic background and so many that have walked away from this. Fortunately, have walked so far away from God. Their efforts to break free from legalism, they've pretty much just walked away from God. And this is not what Paul is telling us at all. In fact, the Apostle Paul says something entirely different. He tells us my third point this morning, and that is this. The true purpose of freedom is to love and to serve our fellow human being. The true purpose of freedom is not just to go and do whatever you want to do. It's really to go and love and serve our fellow man. Live as people who are free. Walk in your freedom. Enjoy. Defend. Fight for your freedom. 
But as Paul states here, understand the true purpose of your freedom. Galatians 5, verse 13, you are called the freedom brothers. Don't use your freedom, however, as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You're called to be free. But you can't use your freedom simply to gratify your own desires. I'm free. I don't have to be bound by law. I'll just go and live and do whatever I want to. No, you are to use that freedom as an opportunity to serve. The true purpose of freedom is to give ourselves to each other. Devoted service to one another. Again, the true purpose of freedom is to give ourselves to each other. To lay down our lives for each other. Devoted service to one another. I was thinking about this as I was reading in my devotional times throughout this week. Read through the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, of course, Jesus says, if you look on a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her. Now, a legalistic approach tells me that the way to avoid sin is to rid myself of my computer, my iPhone, never go to the movies, hide myself in a cabin, because I'll never, ever have an opportunity to look at another woman in a lustful manner. If I do all these things, I will be saved, and it will be acceptable before God. Now, there are some things, obviously, we take time to put filters on our computers, our phones. There are certain things we won't watch because we understand that its purpose and motivation is to ensnare and entrap. But, you know, instead of being legalistic, perhaps a better response is love. You see, love for my family It's what compels me to realize that the best thing my children need is a husband, a father who is keeping his heart pure before God. The best thing for them, my love for my spouse is what compels me to realize that there are things I don't need to be doing in my life. Love for you as a, as a church is what compels me to realize you don't need a pastor who's bound in struggles of the lust of the flesh. Lust is, a, love I should say, is an entirely different motivation than a legalistic, I better do this. Because if I don't do this, I will not be saved. Do the same thing with hatred. Jesus says hatred without a cause is murder. Okay, legalism says, well, I'll just limit who I'm around. I won't talk to anyone who does not look like me or talk like me. Different ethnicity than I am, I don't want to talk to you because I don't want to be filled with hatred for you. You vote for the Democrats or the Republicans, I'm not going to talk to you. But what does love say? Love says, look, I realize you're different than I am. But we are going to work out our differences. We are going to forgive. We are going to understand each other, even if I don't agree with you. 
You don't use your liberty in Christ as an opportunity to indulge your flesh. Think it's okay to eat whatever you want to? But Paul talks about Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 5, 10. That's fine, eat whatever you want to. But we don't use our opportunity just to gorge ourselves on pork and shrimp. Rather, we take what God has given to us and we share with someone else. I'll give of what I have to feed the homeless to have, to feed those who do not have enough food to feed themselves. Truth is, true Christian freedom does not flaunt its liberty running around showing everyone, hey, I am free. I can have a glass of wine with my dinner. That's fine. Have your glass of wine, but love also. says maybe you should pick up the check. Pay for those people that you're dining with. Wanting to be a blessing to your dinner companion. True freedom does not take the money that you are earning throughout the week and sit there with your calculator and figure out what 10% is right on the nose. Don't do that because we don't like it to count, you know, 33 cents when you give the offering. Just give the next dollar, okay? It's better for us. But freedom does not do that. It's someone who says, look, maybe I'm not bound to give a 10%, but Maybe instead of a new car, new phone, new clothes, I give that money to missions, to benevolence. I use my money to get the gospel out to the least and the lost. Again, this is not to condemn you if you're wearing a new outfit this morning, if you've got a new car outside. Your only obligation is to show me what it's like and let me take it for a test drive, right? Rather, it is to say, what are you living for? Are you serving only yourself or your fellow man? Are you willing to give of yourselves for someone else? Paul says the whole essence of the law is this, verse 14. The whole law is fulfilled in one word, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said it himself, Matthew 22, what is the great commandment of the law? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You will love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. That's freedom. Loving our neighbor so much that we are willing to serve the least of these. That's what the Apostle Paul talks about when I mentioned there in Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 10 when he's, when he's discussing the debate, the issue, whether or not you can eat a steak that's been offered up to an idol. Apostle Paul says, I don't care, it's meat. Make it medium well and give me a baked potato and sweet tea and I'm good. But Paul also says, I would rather not eat that steak if it causes my brother to offend. It doesn't matter. The stake will go in my body and out my body. But I'm worried about my brother's eternal soul and that's what matters. You see, the point of our freedom is not just to do what we want to do. It's ultimately 
to serve and to love each other. To give our lives to each other, to follow Jesus' command in John 13 when He said, a new commandment I give to you. To love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Are you free this morning? Are you depending on something in your life other than the grace of Jesus Christ to bring you salvation? Are you sitting here today looking around at so-and-so who's not here and say, well, I'm obviously closer to God than they are because they'd be here. That's not freedom, folks. That's legalism. That's trying to add salvation. By the way, thanks for coming. It's a lot better to preach to people than it is to preach to empty pews. Found that out last year. That's not going to get you to heaven. Are you sitting there thinking, surely God loves me? You should see the amount of zeros that are on the end of my ties check. Thanks for doing that, by the way, for not giving it back to you. That's not going to save you. You are here because Christ has set us free. Live in that freedom. But also don't use that freedom just to live for yourself. Live for each other. Love each other. Serve each other. And if you know sister so-and-so sitting next to you is in need of a car repair, maybe instead of using your freedom because I don't have to pay tithes, I'm in Christ, I'm free. Maybe use the money not to buy again the next iPhone that's pretty much the same as the last iPhone that you got two weeks ago. Say, you know what, maybe I can be content with an iPhone 26 or wherever we're at now. I'll be content with a little bit older model. Let me pay off that person's car repair. Let me do that for somebody else. Instead of taking your liberty and so I'm not bound. I don't have to come to church every Sunday. I'm free. God's not going to judge me if I'm not there. And say, you know what? There's a new family there. And I want to, I want to reach my love to them. I want to show them. I'm going to come. And if they're there, I'm going to invite them out to dinner. Out to lunch and get to know them. See, the true purpose of freedom is so that we might serve each other. Spirit of the Lord has come into our life. He has given us freedom. We are free indeed. Let us serve each other in love. Amen. Let's pray this morning, shall we? I have two, two things this morning. Number one, you're, you're here and you're struggling whether or not you're Christian. Whether or not you're in Christ. Whether or not you really know Him. Struggling because of whatever. 
Maybe you didn't get up and pray or read your Bible this morning. Can I tell you today, you are a child of God. He has set you free. Maybe you yelled at your kids on the way to church because, you know, they were supposed to get dressed and instead they, they decided to pick of all mornings to aggravate and drive you crazy. You're free. Yeah, you might need to ask for forgiveness from your kids and that's okay. But you're not going to hell because you did that. If you're here and you struggle with those legalistic tendencies, it's in all of us. I struggle with them constantly. I think, why, why? But understand, no, you are free in Christ. So if that is you, I want you to know that today. I also want to talk to you, though, who's taken this message a little bit too far and you're starting to get involved in things maybe you know you shouldn't have. Yeah, I know it's not in the Bible. It's not necessarily going to send you to hell, but slipping a little bit too far on the other side. Let me just ask you this question. Are you doing it? to help someone else, to be a blessing to someone else? Or are you doing it simply to satisfy your own desires, your own passions, your own tendencies? You see, we can't go either side of the line. We walk in our freedom, and yet at the same time, we use our freedom as an opportunity to serve our fellow man, to serve our neighbor, to love each other. And I challenge you to look at yourself no matter where you are, what other side. Make sure you get right back in that middle aisle. Stand in that freedom. Enjoy that freedom. Yet use it as an opportunity to serve. Be a blessing to someone else. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to realize that. God, as I mentioned already, it's not through circumcision, but it's, it's whatever it is. Seems like lately it's political power, and political parties. You've got to be a Christian and vote this way or not vote this way or whatever. God, it's, it's the same struggle that the churches in Galatia had. If you are really a Christian, you will do this or not do that. Lord, help us to reject this thinking and to say, I am a Christian because Jesus Christ has died for my sins. He has paid the ransom for my soul. I am forgiven and I am free. And yet, God, at the same time, help us not to slip into this other thought where we can just do whatever we want to. Help us, God, rather to say, Lord, I am free, but I give my life to you in complete and total service. I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you and you alone. 